Sonic States. What's wrong? Hey, hello everybody and welcome to Sonic Talk number 158. Uh, those of you joining us in the chat room, uh, which is live, uh, we always record live and we have a live chat room, so if you want to get involved, remember, um, just come along, 4pm UK time, sonicstate.com forward slash live, uh, and uh, I'll welcome my, my current guests who are with me down the wire. Uh, first of all, I'd like to say hello to Mr. Dave Spears from g4software.com. How are you, Dave? Hello. I'm good, thank you. Good, glad to hear it. It's been snowing where you are. Yeah, Bon-bonkers. amazing. Bonkers. It was absolutely freezing in here, and then Chris popped up saying, have you looked out the window? No. And then I did. And and it was snowing, and there it, it was. It was really snowing. I mean, really, really snowing. Well, Dave, um, glad to have you aboard. Uh, I hope you're wrapped up warm and ready for Christmas and all that stuff, although we do have one more show before the big event. And, hey. Um, um, we'll say hello also to, we'll jump across the pond to where it might possibly have been snowing, because it was last week, to Rich Hilton. Rich. Hey, good morning. Hey, how you doing? Rich I'm Hil- doing great. Rich Hilton, of course, Grammy-winning engineer, producer, soundtrack worker, worked with some of the all-time greats. I imagine you're currently working on Christmas hits with Niall Rogers, are you? Uh, no, not Christmas hits. Ah, but, uh, it'd be a bit late for that, wouldn't it? Yeah, I guess. Unless anyway, we, were, we were singing them out the car window as we drove by. <laughs> anyway, welcome to you, Rich. Thank you. And I've also got uh, back over here, um, Lord Mark Tinley. Hello. I've been doing a course. Oh, yeah. I've spent, I've spent the whole weekend doing a course, three days. And, I th- and it's um, a sort of a self-development course. I suppose that's the best way I could describe it. Uh-huh. So I don't know if you've ever seen the episode of Taxi where Gertke, or whatever his name is, goes from being the bumbling little Spanish weasel guy to the high. (laughs) Is that what you've become? Yeah, well, no. (laughs) (laughs) Somewhere in between. I I have actually realised that I've got to stop dominating people by having panic attacks because it doesn't necessarily do me any justice to do that. So I'm going to be responsible for them from now on. Uh, Okay. Well, so that you have learned something useful then. I'm sure more than one thing. I've learned lots of useful things. And I've been, I've been getting really into music in the last couple of days as well. <coughs> Excuse me. And the one thing I sort of noticed was I was watching lots of videos of different artists. And there's a real profound difference between somebody who is standing for something bigger than themselves and somebody that just wants to do it to be famous. And I think all my life I've wanted to be the guy that just wanted to do it to be famous. Ah. And I think uh, when you look at someone like Bono, who stands really stands for peace and stuff, in, uh, particularly peace in Ireland, but I think he stands for world peace, really. When he opens his mouth to sing, um, he is literally got world peace coming out of his mouth <laughs> that's what i think anyway i got your point i think some people might disagree with his um his e he's he's very egotistical which he i suppose he uses to good to for forces well, he of might, good yeah he may be that as well but i do think that there is a certain element of some kind of soul thing coming from him that mm. doesn't come from some other singers and uh, another person actually somebody's just said something about tara bush in the chat room I had another realisation, and that is that I spend my entire life trying to be different. And I was trying to be different to such an extent that I wanted to be the last to open the Tara Bush box set. And I thought, why am I doing that? It's really a bit silly, because I haven't listened to the album properly, because I haven't opened the CD. (laughs) So I've opened it, and there's a video of me opening it on YouTube. Oh, really? And it's absolutely awesome. The (laughs) The attention to detail on the stainless steel is like an Asperger's man's dream. I mean, it's fantastic. (laughs) And the music, I think Tara is definitely on the same edge of, you know, kind of human meets whatever we're made of as Bono is. I think there's a, you know, she's coming from a really deep spiritual place. I really like, really like her music. Wasn't that good last week? Yeah, excellent. I really enjoyed it. I put a couple of videos up. I'm sure everybody who was here probably seen them now. I stuck them up on because uh, we filmed the whole event, and uh, it was it was really weird watching the videos because there's two blokes in headphones, 
I mean, I'm not looking at her because I'm paying attention to the sort of show me- mechanics. So I look like I'm just kind of checking my email and sort of had my headphones on to sort of, because I don't want to listen to her. I go, shut up, I'm trying to work. <laughs> and, then there's, and then there's Math who sat there like, look, and he looks like he's looking at his email or reading a very long, uh, long story on the web or something. It's really strange, but it works because it's so weird looking. I thought it was, uh, yeah, it was quite good. Chris thought you were playing. I showed him the video. He said, oh, what's Nick playing? <laughs> the chump. Yeah. The fool. The yes. fool, that was it, yeah. <laughs> yeah no it was fun I, i'd like to do something like that again i think um i think it would it, it you know get someone in who can work in that sort of small space and doesn't need a drum kit and can sort of work on headphones and that'd be really good and or maybe figure out a way to do it to take a feed from a studio or where someone's rehearsing so they can do a number for us a little bit of chit chat and then send us a file you know for to put in the edit because obviously it would have to be down skype for that but i i think there could be potential there that was a really clever link wasn't it doesn't that link right into our first topic? Oh, yes. Jam Link, of course, the long distance collaborative device. Let me just, I've got a little <laughs> clip here. I'll play that because um, um, there's a video and stuff. Hi, I'm Dave. I'm here to introduce you to the Jam Link, a cool little audio device that lets you jam with your friends over the internet from multiple locations across town or hundreds of miles apart. The whole thing takes less than five minutes to set up. All you need is a jam link, a web browser, and a good internet connection. Hey, Dave. How's it going? Going good. Dan is 80 miles away in Novato. Uh, Dan, you want to play some Rush? Yeah. Oh, okay, God, no. Let's start with that. One, two, three, four. <laughs> I don't know about you, but with with um, with such power becomes there comes such awesome responsibility. I believe, and I feel perhaps they were, were wielding that in a poor in a poor way. I, I, no, that's not fair. I, I just not I, I don't know anything about Rush. It's not my sort of thing. But uh, that was the Jam Link, uh, which is from um, well, they're from I think they call Music Link, and it's basically like a little hardware box that I believe does all the audio encoding and everything to Ethernet, so it bypasses the computer completely, and its whole purpose is to throughput audio with the minimum possible latency so its processing speed is much much quicker than it would be if it was going through your computer um if it was doing stuff that's what they say apparently uh and it says the jam link's sole purpose is to get audio in and out as fast as possible you only need your computer to access your browser but you do need a minimum download of uh, 1.5 megabits and a minimum upload of one megabit um which you know, it's, it's doable, but it, I mean, for instance, I did a test here and I couldn't do it here and I've got quite a fast line, but I guess in the States, maybe you get a faster up, upload speed. But this thing is a hundred, normally 300 bucks for the box and they're doing a holiday pricing of 149 or 200 bucks for two, which does seem like um, a bit of a bargain if you're into that sort of thing. And it did look like they were able to play pretty well um, in sync. I mean, they didn't seem like they were out. You know, it seemed like it's the first time I've seen something where I actually think this is quite low low latency and it could be a way of actually working online. I don't know. Because we've seen all this stuff before, haven't we? I mean, lots of things. I mean, I know Hans was involved in some stuff. I've forgotten what it was called now and they sort of decided to... Wasn't it digitalmusician.net? That's right, yeah. yeah. And, you know, that didn't work out for whatever reason, but it was more of a collaborative thing so you would share sessions. But the actual real-time collaboration thing, I think that's... That looks like intro. I wouldn't mind trying that out sometime. Well, I would if I could play anything, obviously, but uh, I, <laughs> I don't. But it only takes a mono line in, so you can't do stereo keyboards and stuff like that. But presumably you could record it locally as well and then send files and, you know, whatever. You could do that kind of stuff, record your – and then sync them up later. What do you think? You'd have to because I don't see how you're going to use a browser-driven interface in a – as an input to an audio program, unless somebody can explain that to me. Oh, no, the browser, all the browser does is verify the session. The actual um, audio interface and all of that side of things, it happens in the box. So the box is a separate piece of hardware, and that handles the encoding and decoding. The browser has got nothing to do with level and all that sort of thing. All it does is hook you up with other people and manage, right. manage a sort of session from that point of view. But you would want to record it all locally and resync it. I would think, unless yeah. it's better than I expect. Well, well unless have- unless you, the purpose is not necessarily to record it, but just to jam, which is kind of what they they were doing right. there. Right. So you could start to practice a few numbers and then get together and um, and play them at the gig that was somewhere between your house and their house, for instance. Indeed. I wasn't terribly clear as to whether or not it would take multiple people at the same time, but I'm presuming it must be able to. I don't know. I did, did anyone get a chance to see that? I, I didn't. I didn't. That's one thing I didn't research, which was perhaps. They a, didn't say in the video whether it would or it wouldn't in their video. 
No. Um, and it does, it did say that you, the special deal is for a pair. But I don't, I mean, we can't be getting far off where this is feasible. Dave, would you, would you, could you see a use for this? I mean, you know, at some point? Yeah, I could actually. I know, um, you know, I work remotely with quite a lot of people. It would be nice to do a kind of real time interactive thing, even if, like you say, you have to send the stems uh, another way. I didn't realise it was it was mono only, uh, but yeah, quite cool. I suppose the thing is, you could record it. I wonder if you take the audio output and record it into your door at the same time. There's, I mean, there's all sorts of ways you could use it. I guess. Mm. I mean, I'm particularly thinking maybe rich in the states where you there is a quite a large geographical issue, whereas the UK it's not so much of a big deal. You know, you could actually maybe get a, a, the Tuesday night rehearsal or jam session together or whatever i mean it'd be quite interesting maybe you could you know if somebody couldn't make it to the rehearsal because they were stuck in snow but the rest of the guys were there in the basement you could sort of feed them in on a laptop and they could join in that would be kind of interesting oh absolutely and not to rule out jamming with you guys Mm, i was thinking about writing to them and asking them what what they think but the problem is is i don't have a fast enough connection so it would sort of um right well i wonder about the one meg upload speed in terms of most people's access i think you usually have to buy that around here you know extra yeah from the basic package that you would receive yeah i'm not sure i get it i'm not sure i get it consistently at this location i'm pretty sure i do with the studio but um yeah. Some well, I suppose that's one of the big downsides with any of this stuff, isn't it? It's the consistency yeah, of, of connection. As we've been, we've suffered from this week. I mean, like last week, uh, we we had a problem with upload bandwidth. Although that was the uh, the stream seemed to suffer, but the Skype call didn't, which was kind of weird. So, who knows? Who mm. knows how it's going to work? But I could see, you know, you could sort of integrate it with a whole. I wonder whether you could use it for. Um, uh, for a kind of you know voice over IP session, you know I, I don't know. I might be. I like the idea of sending it somewhere, and then just having sort of the band perform and sending it down the line to me, and then me being able to kind of incorporate that into our Skype little thing. And you know, I, I think it's got potential. It's a, yet another you know another way in. But uh, looking at the discounting they're doing, I wonder if that really is kind of holiday based or whether they just need to shift a few boxes. Because I imagine this sort of thing is very uh, niche. At this time, yeah, useful though, very useful. Mm. I think I might have slightly misunderstood what it was for because I <coughs> had an image of somebody plugging a router into their telephone line and just being able to plug this thing in, whether or not they had a computer. Ah, uh, no, no, you definitely need you need the computer because you have to ver- you have to get your session sorted out. I mean, I'm guessing it it all. Yeah. It might as well have a browser interface if you've got an internet connection. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, um, music. Uh, is it called Music Link? MusicLink.com, I think, is the place. Um, jam over the internet with Jamlink. Check it out and and see what you think. You know, there might be something in it for you. But I think you know, in some places, it would make an awful lot of sense. Okay. Um, well, let's move on to our second topic. Um, this one is. Oh, this one is actually it features a little clip from our friend Oliver Davis from the Circuit Symphony. Yay! This is, uh, a perfect example of. Um, of the SH201 trying to talk. That's all I can say. Here we go. Wow, that was. Um, it, it, I don't think Skype does it justice there, actually. But it was actually um, uh, is a thing that's posted on Sonic State uh, TV, which is uh, kind of our little uh, YouTube kind of video sharing site. And it was from Oliver Davis, who's often in the chat room. Um, no, he's a, he, he's a kind of keyboard collector. Has does lots of synth programming, and that was just an example of. I didn't realise the Roland SH201, which I thought was a sort of cheapy synth, could do that sort of thing, and that was quite impressive, actually. And I think Oliver said that what he did was. Uh, there was some modulation, uh, random modulation of pulse width, amongst other things, which kind of made it uh, vocalise in that sense. And I just really like it. I'll tell you what it really reminded me of. It reminded me of the voices in the TV in Pot- Poltergeist. <laughs> and it was quite spooky. In fact, Oliver, at the beginning of the, uh, mm-hmm. of the clip, says, I, can't, I tried to make it talk happy, but everything it, sa- it speaks, it sounds like sort of really miserable and sort of sad and kind of me- melancholy. And that's just the way it is. That must be the personality of it. But um, and just kind of... 
got me, it got me thinking in terms of you know how often do you get a time to to kind of get into deep programming and coming up with wacky sounds and stuff rather than just sort of pluck something from the myriad of presets that we have and also are there any other synths that are good at talking I know Dave Spears, you're our sort of resident synthesis uh, designer, so you may. I'd like to start with you, if that's all right. Uh, yeah, can do. Oh, all right. I, I do make time. Uh, Saturday is my play day, and that's when I kind of shut the door and have a bit of fun myself. But I do a lot of programming on Saturdays. <laughs> the Saturday show, the Saturday patch day. It's a bit like that, you know, it's like, what are you doing today? Well, I'm taking the nipper swimming and then I'm coming back and then I'm going to play. Play with my synthesizers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Valley Textures, actually, we do we do get some um, good stuff from the Imp uh, because of the separation and the fact that you can, uh, on the Imp 2, which I won't talk about too much, but um, you can modulate that so you can get all these kind of ow, wow, 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 and it's... Oh, that's the filter sound. separation you're talking about? Yeah, uh, okay. yeah. Uh, so that's cool, uh, but I don't tend to go for kind of vocal textures. No, well, there's a there's a built-in vocal um, dislike within your house, isn't there? Because your partner doesn't like vocoders, so I guess emulating vocals is probably not not top yeah, of your list. I'll probably be dragged out of here on a Saturday and beaten. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What about you, uh, Rich? I mean, because you're kind of working daily in in music production, and you know. I guess if you're in your own studio, there's a bit more time to explore things. Maybe before the boss turns up, you can kind of get a few things sorted out. I don't know. You you tell me. Well, I like to do it, um, but we don't do that many heavily synth textured pieces. Right. So when I'm doing it, I'm usually doing it for my own pleasure. Uh-huh. And is that something you get much time to, to to play with? I mean, I guess when you get a new software synth or maybe a bit of hardware, because you were talking about maybe getting one of those SEMS modules, weren't you? Yeah, I was thinking about it. I still think about it. No. Um, haven't done it yet, though. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I I have been lately. Sometimes I do more than others, but I always enjoy doing it. It's fun to do. Just make sounds because. And sometimes it leads to something better. Yeah, I must admit, I don't get much time just purely because uh, the time that I get is usually when I'm reviewing something. So that's the time that I get to kind of mess around with it, I suppose. And, um, you know, and, and I'm just trying to think the last time. It was probably the dope for um, Dark Energy for synthesis, and I really did enjoy that. But again, a lot of it's just ex- rather than kind of coming up with perfect sounds, it's just exploring the edges of, you know, the capabilities as much as I, I get the time to do that. And what about a talking synth? I loved it. Are you? Uh, what's your? Have you got any recommendations for vocalizing synthesizers so for, for ones that can talk? I've always used the hardware vocoders, but no. In short, no. I think there was some stuff I was listening to. I was playing a little bit of um, David Sylvian earlier, and it was uh, Bamboo Houses. And there's a bit of they have that vocal sound that they use in Japan a lot. You know, it's this sort of slightly oboe-esque kind of Chinese, you know, I don't know what sort of instrument it is, but it sounds like an emulation of a vocalizing sort of... Um, Isn't that a Prophet 5? Yeah, it'd be a Prophet 5, but it sounds like it's emulating one of those kind of, uh, I don't know what they are, sort of wind in, Chinese wind instruments that sound a bit vocal. But I could be wrong. What about you, Mark, then? Do you get time to, to synthesize? I, whenever I write music, I synthesize, and I used to spend a lot of time fiddling around with synths making sounds and i guess once you learn you know every possible way of doing it um i don't really i find i'd rather spend the time to make a sound for something than to spend the time trawling through a sound library so i don't really have very much sound library in my computer i think i've got what i was given with logic yeah, okay, i've got lots yeah. of sound library in my computer but, but yeah that's just what comes I, with it rather than collecting i don't more. tend to, um you know i don't tend to uh, want to use a sound that might be the same as anyone else's so I spend time altering maybe going from something that I kind of like and away from that or I just come up with an idea of the kind of sound that I want and program it completely from scratch 
Yeah, and no, that makes that makes perfect sense. Uh, there's a couple of people in the chat room. Obviously, we've got uh, Howard Scar, who's a regular uh, listener and joiner. He says that, uh, that he can get the Zebra 2 to talk, but he's, he is the Zebra mm-hmm. 2 king, isn't he? That's the Yuhi synthesizer. Uh, mm-hmm. John Van Eaton, who's also in the chat room. Wow, what a star-studded cast we have in the chat room. He's, uh, he used to do a lot of teching for Nine Inch Nails, uh, amongst other people. Uh, he says the mono machine does words. That's the electron. And Matt C says the formant filter from the Delay Llama, which is one of my favourite plugins, yeah. is in Omnisphere. So that can obviously talk as well. Right. Uh, Head says the Z1, Korg Z1. And uh, Matt C says, I'm sure you can get a Kymer to sing. I'm sure you can. But so there's If a- I wanted something to sing, I'd bang it through a Digitech vocalist. Oh, well, so- because it, it makes things that aren't quite vocal sound a bit more vocal, so... That works quite well. Oh, really? Well. What, even, oh, that's an interesting idea. So you, you process it as if it was a vocal, and then it becomes Exactly, more... yeah. Oh, no, I've not, not really come across that. And I think, do I, is it, am I right in saying in the Nord modular there's an A-E-I-O filter in that as well? I'm sure there is. Uh, I, think, I think there probably is, actually. Yeah, that does ring a bell. But um, anyway, Oliver Davis says at the beginning of the of Jar's Equinox Five, there's a voice talking part at the start. It's not a vocoder, but an ARP apparently, and that was the inspiration behind him doing the SH two hundred one. In fact, he's done a load of banks for the two SH two hundred one, which uh, is V synth derived Roland synth, um, sort of low cost. It was about four hundred and fifty quid UK pounds, which uh, seems quite decent, and I think it's got quite a lot of synthesis capability in it. Uh, so I, I, I've never had a chance to play with it. I might try. I wonder if they might have one lying around at NAM, I can spend a little time um, fiddling about with. Who knows? We'll see what NAM brings. But, Dave, have you ever messed around with the Roland 201? Uh, no, I haven't. I've heard I'm good things about them from a lot of people, actually. Yeah, I'd quite like to. Yeah, I think I might try that. There was a... I can't remember what it was called. There was a... It was a Logan. And it was called a Vocal... It was a vocal synth, I think it was really? called. Which is really rare, yeah. If anyone knows of one in existence, please let me know. <laughs> You'll be, yeah. But as long as you're not selling it and don't put the price up just because it's Dave. Yeah, yeah, selling it, yes. Sell it to me cheap. <laughs> you won't want it, it's rubbish. Dave will, Dave will look after it. Turn it into an instrument and sell it back to you. <laughs> Uh, anyway, well, that was uh, that was fun. Thank you very much, um, the Circuit Symphony. Um, links in the show notes for that. Uh, um, if you want to check it out, and I'll I'll put it online afterwards. Uh, but I just thought it was very nice. And he's put a load more videos up, um, which are sound banks of uh, the SH two hundred one, which I believe I've already mentioned. Anyway, I think perhaps it's time for uh, for a word from our sponsors. And I'd like to thank uh, very much Yamaha, uh, the UK branch, have uh, been sponsoring the podcast for some time now, um, and they would like to br- drink your att- bring your attention to the Yamaha down. Download podcast, which covers all aspects of music performance, creation, production, and with interviews with key artists, latest product news, competitions, tutorials. Uh, they've got everything. They've got something for all kinds of musicians, and it's not like just a Yamaha corporate fest. It's a, it's a nicely produced podcast, and uh, you can get that either at yamahadownload.co.uk or you go to sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha, which bounces them over, and that means that they can see where the the links came from and makes it all join up nicely. <coughs> Incidentally, I got some word from uh, Yamaha today that they're going to be announced. Uh, there's a major project announcement prior to NAM, which is uh, it's got an embargo time of tomorrow at midday. And they've also got a whole bunch of other products that are coming at NAM, which uh, I have been told I can't say anything about at the moment. But if you want to find out about that, there's also a monthly newsletter uh, which goes out. It's called, well, they call it an eShot. It's called the Yamaha Roundup. And uh, it's basically, uh, again, you know, it's just a kind of what's going on, what's happening. And quite often they announce products in there before it even gets to press. So if you want to keep an eye on what's going on with the Yamaha world, particularly at this NAM, where I believe, as I said there are several new products across all the major categories including high tech so maybe some kind of synth who knows uh, you want to subscribe to that and um, again you can get to that at yamahadownload.co.uk or sonicstate.com forward slash yamaha so we thank them once again for their continued sponsorship of the podcast and we'll be heading over and meeting up with them and uh, giving them a lot of handshaking and covering those new products at nam ourselves so uh, yes thank you very much remember sonicstate.com forward slash yamaha and you get the bounce across to the various resources there and it means that they can track them nicely so thank you uh so let's see what's up next uh ah rich you pass this one on patrick moraz ob8 voice for sale this was on synthful.com and it's uh his 
Uh, it's Patrick Mraz's custom-built Oberheim 8 voice. Uh, and I t- the picture of it is astonishing. It's uh, got eight SEMs in it, uh, the patch controller, two keyboards in a folding box. It's a four and a five octave keyboard. Uh, it says taking serious offers. And I was just wondering what it might be. And in fact, um, when I went to check back this week, because I put it in the show notes for last week, because I didn't know quite what was going to happen with the Tara Bush thing. Fortunately, it worked out well. And we didn't need to fall back on any of our topics. Um, it's actually been sold. And I have no idea how much it went for. And I'd really like to know. <laughs> but uh, nobody seems to have any idea. Um, uh, any guesses? It's got to be a few quid, hasn't it? Yeah. What do you I've reckon? Because you've got you got a posh one, didn't you? I mean, yours is not not so custom, but I mean <clears> that <throat> level of you know still famous, isn't it? Uh, yeah, and it's a beautiful thing, and I can see this. I could see this getting twenty thousand dollars. Right. Mm. What do you think, Rich? I know you're an Oberheim fan. I was thinking it might have gotten half that, but Dave might be right. It could have gotten twice that for all we know. But, but uh, You weren't tempted yeah. then. I did put in a bid. <laughs> Sorry. Did you put a bid, Dave? Did you put a bid in? I think Chris did, yeah. Wow. Might have been about 15 quid or something. <laughs> yeah, but you got it just in case. <laughs> well, it got devalued, didn't it, by somebody scrawling graffiti on the front. Oh, yeah. Uh, Patrick Mraz, um, in fact, signed it. Uh, if you go to the Patrick Mraz website, um, where you can buy his new CD, The Change of Space, available now online, there's a rather amusingly titled uh, link there which just says, Enter Patrick Mraz. Dot com, which, uh, I, I don't know, just conjured up all sorts of images not really connected with the internet, uh, more to do with stuff I don't like to talk about. But anyway, he signed it. Um, it sold. I'm guessing it's probably in good condition. It looked in extremely good condition. It's Kevin Leiner, isn't it? Also, it, it kind of threw, it linked in with a topic that we had a little while back, which was this idea of kind of branded synthesizers and instruments, you know, because we had the, you get guitars, you know, special edition guitars and, and occasional special edition synths, you know. I mean, obviously the Bob Moog ones were signed, you know, did special editions, obviously that's no longer possible. But I wondered whether or not this, um, this, this is the closest thing we can get to it, you know, the pre-owned electric electronic instruments and also facing that i don't know if we've actually discussed this before you know whose whose electronic instrument and what would it be that would you most desire uh, where do i start where do you start well i i personally <laughs> would i don't know whether i would go for one of the i'd like to have maybe one of the human league system 100s m things or anything that vince clark's used owned oh he got rid mm. of loads of stuff didn't he when he moved yeah, to I the states bought, i should have bought it shouldn't i Damn. There you go. I missed my chance. This sort of ties in. There's quite a lot of gear for sale and sort of linked to I know, Rich, have you got a kind of... Would you? Is there something that you'd like to own, an electronic musical instrument that just... Do you think it infuses a certain amount of gravitas? Do you think it, it, it would... In, it has any kind of additional energy or whatever? You know, I mean, does it mean more if it's, if it's been owned by somebody and used for some seminal recordings? Does it, does it make a difference? Not to me. <laughs> How's that for my No, I guess yeah, I guess not. How's that for romance? <laughs> That's yeah. I I don't know, Rich. I expected more from you somehow. Sorry, Nick. <laughs> no, not to me. In fact, I've I've been racking my brain trying to think of one. Well that you'd like. And, yeah, but that I that has any that it means to me that it was Wendy Carlos's I mean I could tell stories. I, I worked on modular Moog number three, but it, and that was it's kind of cool that it was only the third one um but and i played mini moog number 89 but um ultimately no i don't have to own them i, I want a good, really good piano <laughs> is what i want mm. but, you know if, if uh you know and i can't afford right now so that's I don't know. I, mean, I suppose the thing is, you know, like with guitars, obviously, you know, they're played in, they've been played by somebody with a certain technique, which in some senses would shape them physically and, and you know, even microscopically, you know, the way that it's worn, the way that it's played. I think so, that yeah. That sort of thing. I know you can't really get the same thing with an electronic instrument, or is that perhaps wrong? Maybe well, if you're using something that's uh, <laughs> that's a modular and you can see that the where the most patching has taken <laughs> has taken place, you might be able to kind of follow in some way the uh, patch thought processes of the patchy but how i mean nick um that guy you know from that band <laughs> yeah has got three jupiter eights and they're all completely different totally different sounding to each other you load the patches from one into another one and it sounds like another synth it's very odd so the kind of the fact that it's made of organic 
or more organic electronic components that break down over time and sort of change their resistance and capacitance and everything else means that they are going to have different sounds. So Nick's Jupiter 8 has got a very nice tone to it, which um, he hasn't been able to replace by buying backups for it. The original one has a sort of a specific sound, very different to the other ones. Mm. That's. I think I would go for the Devo guitar, though, while I'm... The what, the guitar? While I'm speaking. Can you remember one of... One, I think one of the Devo members had a guitar that looked like a plank, and it had lots of electronic synth stuff built into it, or maybe I've made that up, but oh. I, I can sort of remember that from my teenage years, really coveting this guitar. You want that? So, yeah, that. Okay. Please. We'll see what you can. We will see what we can do for you for Christmas, Mark. But uh, I, I'm not promising anything. <laughs> you've been silent. I hope you've had time to to to, to think and dwell. Can I limit you to three? <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I would have liked this actually. There were because there were dual manual eight voices made, but I don't think it was this. I mean, according to uh, this is Kevin Leitner's site, I think, and he says this was one of six. And I thought it would have made a really good uh, piece, but I'm not a big Patrick Moraz fan, so that's more for the instrument. I'll tell you what I would really like, but I think it would uh, involve a divorce, and that would be Stevie Wonder's Yamaha GX1, from which he did Songs in the Key of Life uh, and um, Secret Life of Plants and stuff like that. I think that would be mine. Mm. That would be my all-time fave, but getting it in the house... And then finding the space for the missus to get her suitcases out <laughs> would be uh, a bit tricky. What about clavinet? Could you just do one of those instead? One of his clavinets, uh, you know, the, the, the superstition clavinet. Yeah, no, I've mucked about on clavinet. I had a clavinet for a while. Ridiculously heavy for what it is. Uh, not wildly impressed. <laughs> I would like... I'd, I'd tell you, if I could have... Okay, three. Right, okay. It would definitely be the GX1. I would like the Tonto synth, please. Uh, yeah. Dear, dear okay. Jim, can you fix it for me? <laughs> I think that might be tricky. <laughs> the Tonto synth is a good call, though. Definitely a good call. Uh, and I can't think of another one off the top of my head. Oh. I probably would quite like the... George Harrison owns or owned the Beatles Moog Modular. I think I'd probably like that. All right. That would be quite mm-hmm. nice. I'll see what I can do. Three wishes. Yeah, um, you'll probably get none of them, but, you know... <laughs> It's worth a try. Worth a try. You've got yeah. to ask, haven't you? You've got to ask. Anyway, um, I thought that was kind of fun, and it sort of ties in because there's also a load of nine-inch uh, nail stuff on eBay. I mean, it's an eBay frenzy. This stuff, this stuff seems to be going up and up and up and up and up at the moment. I mean, the, obviously, nine-inch nail stuff. There's a Nord modular, uh, which went in the end for I think it was t- t- uh, twelve hundred, twelve hundred and twenty-five bucks which seems like quite a lot of money for a Nord Modular, and considering the fact that it was also a stage performance casualty, as they put it rather um, uh, enigmatically, which meant, you know, there were things broken. <laughs> you know? I don't know. Yeah. But they've, they're selling a whole bunch of stuff, the Nine Inch Nail things, and, you know, it just goes to show that it's almost this idea of owning, owning something that's been pre-owned. I don't know what it is. Do you think it's just having a part of the magic? People think it might have a part of the magic, or just, just the whole... Um, the fact that it's what do you call it? It's uh, it's like collector's heaven. I've got a CR seventy eight here on loan that used to belong to Depeche Mode. Have you? It's a bit smug, isn't it? Yeah, that's nice. What does it do <laughs> that a normal one doesn't? Uh, it's got Simpty and it's got a kick drum decay knob on it Ooh. and a snare snappy knob. I, I think it's actually a snare level. But yeah, that's quite cool. It's been modified. Mm. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I haven't got anything like that. I mean, I've got I've got stuff, but I haven't got anything that's particularly magic. I've the, I think the oldest thing I've got is my Burns London split sound, which I used in the recent uh, Sonus G2M review, and that's 1962. That's about uh, the oldest thing I've got. Wow! And that, it turns out I know a bit about that because the bloke um, that it came from used to run the music shop in Bath that uh, I first saw synthesizers, you know, in, you know, when they were first coming in. And I remember taking it in to have something done on it. And he goes, oh, I can't believe this is mine. I used to have this because he sold it to a guitarist who used to be in a band with me. And then he sold it to someone else. And it sort of finally came around and he was delighted to see it again. He was called Pedro. I doubt if he's listening to this, but um, hello, Pedro, if you are. I've got your Burns. Well, it's now mine, obviously. (laughs) I've got the Burns split sound. 
I mean, it's not a great guitar, but it, you, it feels, I, I mean, as I was saying, it feels playable because it's been played so much. And I suppose, really, you might get, I mean, you might get it with uh, mechanical instruments, mightn't you? Um, it's certainly keyboard. I mean, synthesizers, perhaps not so much, but if there's a mechanical aspect to it, like a clavi or a Rhodes or a Whirly or, you know, that kind of thing, that, that might feel different depending on who'd owned it for such a long time, right? Well, the condition of the instrument is important, but who owned it, I don't care. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I'm trying. I'm trying. Strong. Not romantic. Not romantic. Grew up playing a 1914 six-foot Steinway Grand. Uh, Loved it. Yeah. Loved well. it. Have operated. I sat at a GX1 once and played it. It was lovely. I've, uh, you know, I've operated early Moog modulars. They were fun. Um, I've, I've played almost every, cons- I've played, you know, 80 or 90% of the keyboards that people want to drool over from 30 years ago i played um so i don't know it's never been that much about the gear to me it's always about what we bring to it yeah well yeah no you're right of course and it's interesting because you do when you buy this old stuff you really do buy a responsibility to keep it maintained and it ain't cheap and people kind of go oh wasn't that great wasn't that fantastic but a lot of people look at it through rose-tinted specs when you're owning it and you're parting with cash to constantly get it fixed absolutely yeah which i do think is a responsibility you know when you buy stuff like this you have to keep it maintained yeah you're reminding me i need to get a voice card for my juno 106 curses uh, okay. maybe i'll have to sell my korg ms20 which appeared to go for three thousand australian dollars <laughs> on ebay recently now that is crazy money i don't know what that works out in terms of pounds but it's well over must be coming up for two grand prices are nuts at the minute they really are going up. Uh, the guy who actually maintains our gear said that uh, it's kind of like vintage cars and fine art in a recession. The prices will go up and people are just looking to vintage synths. I saw an Oscar the other day go for 2,200 quid. Wow. Whoa. That's pretty scary. Maybe I mean, you should put the price of the Imposter up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm torn. I'm torn between hanging on to them and also raising the cash. Oh, there's a oh Mark Jakes Pay says uh, found some fairly priced voice chips for the Juno on eBay. Okay, I might check that out. Thanks. Uh, that's Asio Head. I'll, I'll save those. Obviously, you can check the chat room uh, transcript out uh, after the show. I've always put a link to it because we you know we 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 save it to an XML file and you can just see what was going down in the chat room while the while listening to the show. It's quite a nice sort of experience. I think it's worked quite well. Let me move on to our final subject because I know Mark. Um, last week you were you were keen to talk about this, and again, this is one of the ones that didn't make it uh, into the show last week. I'll just play you this, and especially 2004's DJ Danger Mouse, who created what he called the Grey Album, a mix of Jay Z's Black Album and the Beatles' White Album. They say they never really miss you till you dead or you gone. So on that note, I'm leaving after the song. So you ain't gotta feel the Grey Album made Danger Mouse a star. Never commercially released, it leaked far and wide, making a number of year-end top ten lists and offering major labels an object lesson in how not to stop samplers. I asked at the beginning why Greg Gillis hasn't been sued yet. In fact, Danger Mouse may be why. James Boyle. There's the story that the labels learned from DJ Danger Mouse and don't want to risk creating the Che Guevara of the digital sampling age, the lost hero to which all of us will offer reverence and thus make him even more popular. Another story is they're going, hmm, this is really interesting. Let's let him run a bit. And when we finally see how things are playing out, then we'll figure out a way of getting a revenue stream out of this. Third story is they realize it's actually fair use and they don't want a bad precedent brought against them. And then a fourth one is that they are gibbering in terror and are so scared by this new phenomena they're incapable of rational action of any kind and so are caught in a kind of fugue state as the digital music scene develops. So which is it? If you went around the music industry and asked people, why haven't you sued them? You would get all of those answers. That was uh, an interesting link that was sent by PJ. It's a shame he's not here this week, but uh, I think he's he's obviously busy in the run-up to Christmas. And that was on uh, on the media, and it was a podcast uh, essentially about the kind of the way that sampling has become uh, so so prevalent, and we still haven't really figured it out. There is no kind of norm, you know. There's no sort of standard set. There are people kind of making making records and not going through certain. Um, 
uh, publication, publishing, you know, releasing records on the on the on the quiet or on the black market, and sort of gaining massive amounts of uh, kudos for it. And you know, it's it, you never know if you kind of go, I'd like to sample that and use it. There's no sort of fixed point. And people kind of quite often just sort of say, hmm, how much do I think it's worth to them? I'll charge that much rather than any kind of fixed rate and stuff. But it was a, it was an interesting sto- uh, show, I thought. And I know Mark, um, you were quite keen, and you said you'd had a bit of a revelation as far as sampling had uh, had gone. My revelation is in regard to some of my own music and I've sampled big chunks of Devo and literally just used the whole backing track and pitch shifted a few things so I'd got the chords I wanted and so it sounds like Devo with me singing and playing the guitar on it (laughs) and I've done the same thing with, um, uh, what are they called, Uh, Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreakers who were originally the New York Dolls I think or some version of the New York Dolls there's another one of their tunes that I've done exactly the same thing with. I've got the whole feel and everything of their music, but with me singing and playing a lead guitar on the top of it. And I've just realised from listening to this, uh, that clip that you sent, that it's been on the back burner for like five, six years, because I've just been thinking, what's the point of making it? Because nobody will, you know, I can't do anything with it because I'll just get sued. And, right. it, and it's completely pointless, but... Having watched that and having watched and realised, watched it, sorry, listened to it and realised that the law regarding sampling's never actually been proved and, and not only just five years ago, but looking back through my entire career with my brother Adam, we were so careful to like, if we sampled anything, to change it so much that it was not recognisable anymore. And I know what the samples are on his records, but, you know, we, we didn't declare some of them. And some and some of the sampling nightmares he's been through to try and get things that are recognisable um, okayed and stuff. It's just a minefield. And what the bit that really got me was the fact that if a new work cites an old work in literature, they look at what impact it will have on the sales of the original work before awarding the person with the original work. Um, an amount of money from the sales of the new work. So if I was to cite, I don't know, say I suddenly wrote another book and I was to cite um, J.K. Rowling and write a, you know, take chunks out of the Harry Potter book and turn it into something else, and people bought my book and they could prove that when they read mine they bought more of hers, they would take less money off me because I would be contributing to her income. But that doesn't seem to happen in music, and somebody needs to address it, I think. That's kind of the gist of the article, isn't it? That, yeah. there's, that there's no, there's never really been a real standard set. And 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 the, so an interesting point that they made at the beginning was at the birth of hip hop when it was starting to really um, take off. And there's this whole sort of exciting new musical genre, which you know, okay, some say is now sort of coming to a close. There are all these artists that sort of were unable to to sort of get go anywhere because they you know because of all this sample case and they quite they quote the bismarck e and the gilbert o'sullivan case which i thought was just hilarious i mean who would sample it's just like hip-hop and gilbert o'sullivan sullivan just don't really go together but brilliantly uh, anyway he kind of bla- he was the first real brazen and sort of unsubtle apparently this is according to this uh, podcast uh blew it up and, and who was they they kind of got stuck and you know it's 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 not uncommon in musically for this to happen in terms of, you know, jazz and classical musicians do it all the time. They borrow themes and they run with them and they make variations. And I suppose the thing was is um, I think they were talking – I think they talked to Hank Shockley, who's one of the big sampling um, icons. And he was saying, you know, the, the point is with sampling is, you know, that you're taking – something about the atmosphere of a recording as well it's not just the tune it's the whole thing of just trying to get the the sound that is important you know very difficult yeah, to absolutely. recreate absolutely and i don't know that this is you know i i understand that this can be a problem because it's it's using other people's work hard work and kind of reusing it but if it results in some if they formalize it and made it a revenue possible for people who were the originators then i can't see a problem and i think the difficulty is is you get cases like i don't know there's the the verve and the bittersweet symphony and they took that da 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 which okay admittedly was the the cornerstone of the of the song the riff but the song he wrote was brilliant and he got nothing they had to give 100 percent publishing away on that you know and that sort of stuff you know that that's that that's not really a hip-hop kind of thing you know it, it just seems a little unfair and unjust somehow 
But well, maybe um, if he had negotiated it in advance, he would have gotten a better deal. Well, I don't know how that worked with that. I mean, because in, in a lot of cases, you know, you, you do the tune, you go, hey, this is really cool. I guess we're going to have to sort something out. Because I mean, when you don't sit down and write a song and think, I better, ch- if, I think I might use this as an idea. Maybe I should clear it before I write the song. I mean, you just don't do that, do you really? Oh, sure. You? And let me tell you a story okay. about somebody who did that it, very vociferously. <laughs> um, we were working one day with a famous band who shall remain nameless, but whose first name is a color and second name is a number. And um, <laughs> they, uh, we spent a day recording basic tracks for a tribute album we were working on of a classic artist, and we recorded one of their songs. And the second day, they come in, and the singer is like all excited because he's got this song on his iPod he loves, and he's found this section that he wants to use and sample and put in as the basis for this track, which we're now going to start over. So um, we do that. And six, seven, eight o'clock rolls around, and in comes Sony's record company guy, who's looking around, going, "What is this? Huh? What? It, where is that from? What? It, what is the?" And and so the explanations begin. He's like, and you know, everybody leaves the control room, <laughs> and uh, no, that wasn't the version we used. Um, so no, they don't necessarily want to pay. No, I suppose not. But the, I think the thing, the reason his reaction was probably like that because there was no, there is no standard. You know, people you can people can. No, there go, is, think- there is, there is, and Niall knows all about this shit because he was, you know, good times gave rise to rappers' delight, which was apparently mm-hmm. the beginning of it. At least it's the beginning of it in modern pop. I don't music think it's. Culture. Yeah. Sorry, I don't think it's so much that there's no standard. I think it's more that the standard was set on whether or not someone was stealing, and it wasn't based in any way, shape, or form on copyright law. That was my understanding from that clip. Yeah, well, they they, they cite the fair use, don't they? Yeah. The judge that set the standard knew nothing of copyright, and it should the standard should really be set by a copyright judge. Well, the way it's set up now, almost nobody uses the classic track. They'll remake it. Yeah, exactly. And it must I have mean, to do with the mechanical fees of using you it. You kind of paste the. I'm, I mean, the way I've been doing it is I'll. Oh dear, I'm giving some stuff away here. And certain tracks by a certain artist <laughs> who have two names that sound the same. I <laughs> um, <laughs> sound from some pretty cool uh, Jamaican. What's that stuff called? Uh, dance hall reggae or something isn't it yeah and i sampled a track and i took it and i looped it and built an entire track around it and then i took the original sample out right at the end well that's fine i mean as a writing tool i mean there's no problem with doing that i mean that's that that's the sort of thing it would have been so much more cool to keep the original sample in though yeah well it would be cool but i mean that's that's often the problem because that that can supply that does supply an ingredient and you know something that is quantifiable i mean i suppose the hard thing is is you know some if the judge thinks the track sounds rubbish and it's all sort of terrible unpleasant music then he's going to feel he's going to be less inclined to to rule in one way or the other or more inclined to rule in one way or the other than than perhaps you know if he really really likes the original composer or really likes the new the new user you know it's quite difficult because it's so you know there's no real uh, uh what's that what do they call it uh, in law um precedent. precedent thank you dave thank you dave the precedents all, all seem to be massive cases where people just go yep yeah, thank you very much we'll take the lot of that please to speak to your earlier analogy i think that it's more like montage artwork where you'd take, as a kid, you'd be cutting out pictures and pasting them against a piece of construction paper and making your own kind of artwork out of it. Uh-huh. And, and that goes back, you know, probably 100 years in the culture. And it also f- describes a bigger problem with intellectual property rights and what copyrights are actually worth these days anyway and the in- intrinsic value of music, whether or not there is any in a culture where you can get pretty much everything you want for free. So it all it all feeds the, the, to me. It it all fits into a larger picture of how uh, fa- found montaged pieces of art uh, grab hold in the culture. And sure, it makes certain things possible compositionally to people who wouldn't otherwise yeah. be creating tracks like those. But that's always been the case, even before sampling. And you know, it's always been the case. I mean, classical music. Is a good example, would you not say? It's not the same as quoting a melody. Hmm? It's not the same. It's not the same as quoting a melody. It's pasting an actual recording of Beethoven's Ninth right. into the middle of your, you know, Haydn symphony. 
<laughs> you know, it's it's actually taking the thing. Yes, I suppose. Yeah. It's not referencing it. It's not like, you know, my friend Nick told me a funny joke the other day about the time he went to the dentist. It's not like that. It's me playing you saying it without your permission. You know, I'm not saying everybody should, I, nobody should get paid. I just think that there needs to be some way of um, oh. quantifying it properly. Yeah, I don't, the, what I understand is that in most cases legally, it costs you more to pursue it than you're likely to make from the success unless the record you're pursuing is huge. Yeah. Well, you you must know a lot about this, right? Well, not yeah. really. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I did didn't... Not, yeah, but did we bootlegged not, a record, which is a slightly different thing. I mean, we never said we wrote the song. We just took the, the vocal and put some music to it for Tom's Diner. That's, right. not, that's not quite the same thing as just sort of... I, I would say, I would put, because well, it was still her clearly her song. That, haven't you? We took the melody. I mean, I'd say, you know, we were probably due an arrangement royalty because we changed the arrangement and we kind of made it stronger in some areas and changed it around and what have you. I mean, that would be my argument. And we did look to see whether there was a case, you know, and we got to the barrister level and we went to council and it cost us 2,000 quid to find out it was a 50-50 thing. And we just thought, yikes, you know, that's not really, I don't really want to go there. You know, it just sounds far too risky. And also the only people we could really... We, could, we had a case against was was the publisher, which was Suzanne's situation, which I don't think was the idea, you know. But anyway, so we didn't we didn't go there. So, and I think that's also the other thing. It, once you start getting into this litigious and litigation and that sort of thing, it makes everything sort of it it takes away from the kind of spirit of collaboration and all of those sort of things. You know, it just makes it all a bit yeah. unpleasant and not not right. I know, Dave, you've been very quiet. Have you had any of the, got any skeletons in your closet? Got any thoughts on this? Uh, not really, no. I have been doing similarly cheeky things with video footage that I've found on YouTube and stuff like that, just putting that to tracks that I've done. Just in all, uh, the same kind of ethos in mind, just to try and create a vibe. And then, of course, you come up with something that you think, actually, that works, that's cool. And then you think, well, <laughs> it's not like it can ever be released. But no, so I'm yeah, kind can of fascinated you just put it back it. on YouTube? <clears throat> Yeah, yeah think- possibly, but it's it is there is an element of very cheekiness. True, about it. but I, I'm kind of I was intrigued with your story because at what point did all of the people start coming out of the woodwork? I mean, I've spoken to people like Norman Cook, who at the time said nick everything, but at what point did people start coming out of the woodwork with yours? Because that was an underground hit, wasn't it? Initially, it went. It didn't really have a chance to underground because it went straight to. Um, radio One, so it was immediately national airplay. It was like there was only a week before it was on the on the radio. I mean, it really, oh, wow. you'd, you'd put it out as a white label. Yeah, it just went as a white label. Got got played. It was the first bootleg, you know, or one of yeah, one of the first bootlegs to get um, playlisted on Radio One. That's and they wow. must have, you know, they must have taken legal advice and figured out that it was all right and, you know, talked to A&M and, you know, what have you to say, is that okay, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, I, know, I have no idea what went on behind the scenes. It would be nice if there was a standard criteria. If you want to use this, then this is what you have to do. I mean, I don't know anything about, you know, how I would even begin to clear something. I assume it would be to approach the publishers. But Well, you have to do both. You have to approach the publisher and the owner of the recording. Because essentially, it's just going to meet, you're going to meet a lawyer bottleneck. Well, exactly. I mean, I guess it's a fairly similar process to if you want to do something like uh, synchronize a track to TV, you have to get, you, you pay a license fee, which is split amongst the publisher and the uh, record company. But that, that, that follows. That's the key. You've just hit the nail on the head. That's the key. But that does follow some kind of form. You know, there is, I mean, obviously it's a, it's a buyer and seller uh, negotiation. So, you know, if you say, I want to be used this on a uh, Coca-Cola advert, then you think if they, or Coca-Cola come to you and say, we'd like you just go, yeah, all right then. Um, listen, I'm not going to let you have it for next to nothing. It's going to cost you a bit more because you're Coca-Cola. It's going to be worldwide. It's going to be exploited. Or you could say, actually, you can have it for next to nothing. Cause I know I'll sell loads of albums because tons of people are going to hear this stuff. You know, it, you, there's a negotiation there, so I suppose that's not fixed either, really. Well, PRS have a kind of a fixed rate for using music. I mean, if EastEnders use uh, something that's in the charts and play it on the jukebox in the background as background music, they have to pay a certain amount of publishing for it. So maybe they should just create some, like PRS should collect from a record. So if you use like 30 seconds of someone else's work, you take it as being the same as if you had 30 seconds of someone else's work in a 
In other yeah. words, when they play it on the radio, PRS would then break the track down into different... That's true, amount. but that doesn't work globally. That only works, you know, PRS is not something... You don't get needle time in the States. You get it, you know... It's, oh, yeah, okay. it's it's sort of, yeah, it's all a bit messy. But anyway, I mean, we could go on and on forever. But it was an interesting podcast, and thanks to PJ mm-hmm. for pointing that out to us. And it's quite interesting, because there is there's something, I don't know if you've seen this, but in the UK, there's a, there's a, a sort of movement afoot to uh, get Rage Against the Machine um, to to number one for Christmas in the UK. And uh, the and the song, uh, the, the, the most memorable line is, I won't do what you want to. Uh, which is repeated over and over again at the end. And they've, there's a brilliant video on YouTube and they've just cut it to all the singing. They basically put this guy's mouth, who's speaking the lyrics of the song, onto faces of contestants performing on The X Factor, including Simon <laughs> Cowell. It's absolutely brilliant. And, and currently, I have to say, uh, according, I saw Imogen Heap tweeted this. She said, I just bought one and I've just bought it as well on iTunes. Uh, apparently, it's, it is actually number one in the UK midweek chart. So if you go and buy it, if you go and buy it on iTunes or any of the other, I'll put the link in the show notes. It's absolutely hilarious because um, basically, uh, oh, hold on, here we go. I've got the link here. I'll put it in the chat room and I'll, uh, if you're all in there, you can see it. And um, this would be the first time for quite a number of years where uh, the X Factor doesn't have the number one spot. And uh, there wasn't, I saw a headline as I was coming to work today and it was um, that, Cowell is behind, Simon Cowell is behind 11 of the top 20 albums this Christmas in the UK. It doesn't surprise me. I mean, the man's a genius. I know, I agree. And what's really interesting, he's on a charm offensive and he was interviewed on um, Newsnight in the, in the week, which I think you can still see on the, on the, uh, uh, the BBC website. If, I don't know if everybody can see that. And he was disarmingly honest and really straight. And I really I thought, well, fair enough. You know, he's not saying, I mean, he, he, and, you know, uh, Kirsty Walk, who's a brilliant interviewer, was talking to him about uh, the Susan Boyle phenomenon. And, and he said, yeah, that's awful. We feel totally responsible for this. We didn't realise that she wasn't able to cope with it. And we've said all along, if she don't, wants to stop, we rip the contract up. We're not interested in ruining her life. You know, we don't want that to happen. And she said, uh, and he said, you know, but on the other hand, we said to her, you know, she can make a lot of money if she wants to do it. And if she doesn't want to do it, that's fine. We're n- the money's not all important. And Kirsty Walk says... Well, it's not to him, is it? Well, it's not now, no. And, and Kirsty Walk says... Um, uh, yeah, you're going to make uh, more than her. And she, he said, yeah, of course, we're the record company. That's the way it works. You know, he's not hes not trying to hide it. It was really interesting, actually. And if uh, he comes across as scary, but also quite honest and straight ahead sort of guy. But anyway, I thought I'd end with that. But, let's, but nonetheless, let's still get Rage Against the Machine to UK number one for Christmas. That would be so funny. And it would actually kind of give the people who sort of say, yes, but it's all about empowering the population, a kind of kick up the arse and say, yeah, but these are people who are being empowered that aren't being manipulated by you. I just like the idea of it. I like that. I think that's fantastic. Because uh, if it's going via Twitter and social networking and people are being asked to do it via that medium, it shows how powerful that medium is and it's going to be a real... um, eye-opener for the big record companies to see that happen, if that happens. Yeah, I mean, imagine um, imagine if that gets to number one. That'd be just fantastic. So all you've got to do is go on iTunes, and it's like 99p download. And it's a real high... It, I think it's a 320 kbps. It was 11 megs, the song, and it's only four minutes long, so it must be very high bitrate. So uh, I would say... Um, if you're in the UK and you want to contribute to the UK Christmas number one, I think perhaps you should... Um, I think you should do it. I'm there now. Yeah, are you buying it? Good for you, Dave. <laughs> I think that's probably it. I, I've, I should probably have a quick word about the Christmas hours. Um, I think next Wednesday will be the last show before Christmas. It's actually going to be a week uh, the way it falls. I mean, we've had a couple of weeks off in the past. So if anyone uh, fancies joining us next week, uh, usual time, usual place, and then we'll be back on, I think it's the third or the fourth uh, also. But anyway, those are the hours. Uh, so next week's the last one before Christmas. Uh, it'd be great if any of you guys can join us. Obviously, uh, if you're listening to the show now or you're live in the chat room, uh, sonicstate.com forward slash live, 4pm UK next week. Uh, that would be the 23rd of December for this special Christmas edition. And um, I'd like to thank all of the people who've been joining us in the chat room this week. And also uh, thanks very much to our guests here too. Been uh, great fun as usual. I'll say goodbye to Dave Spears from G4 Software dot com first thank you very much i'm glad we've managed to uh, enlighten you in the ways of rage against the machine i hope you enjoy your purchase i will and uh, <laughs> also mark tinley uh, from autismhero.com uh, i'm glad you've had a good week and really good to have you aboard thank you very much again you're very welcome 
And I hope you go and get uh, Rage Against Machine 2. Go on, 99p. I'm going to, yeah, why not? <laughs> There's another three sales today, so that's got to be good. And, of course, Rich Hilton from... Uh, Connecticut, uh, myspace.com forward slash Hiltonis. Thanks for joining us. I hope you have a good week and it's not all kind of all up against it. I think you remember last year you were working real, right up against it for Christmas and uh, and I hope it's a little bit lighter on the, your workload this week, week. But uh, hey, I'm sure it's all good. Thank you, Nick. Big fun as always. Great. And uh, don't forget, if you missed um, last week's episode, uh, go and check it out because we had Tara Bush performing. And perhaps if there's anyone who's uh, maybe on the road and thinking about um, passing this way, perhaps uh, you could uh, give us a call or you know drop us an email and we'll see about maybe doing a little show in here. Obviously, we can't, um, <laughs> we can't, we can't accommodate anybody who makes any noise. It'll have to be a kind of vocal mic and electronic stuff. We can't have people hitting drum kits in here because we're in shared offices. Yeah, so anyway, thanks very much. That was Sonic Talk number 150. 58. We're out of here.